Kyle Sondland and Herbert Konings are founding partners of Security Token Group. All opinions expressed by them or guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not represent the views of Security Token Group or its subsidiaries. You should not take any opinion expressed on the show as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow any investment strategy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. everyone to the Security Token Show. We are your hosts. I am Kyle Sondland, joined with Herwig Konings, and this week we will be discussing the topic of the first public security token airdrop, the one from Overstock, of course. But before we do, we'll proceed with our normal programming, starting with our companies of the week, followed by the industry news from last week, the latest security token offerings and updates, trading activity from the market, and then finally into that glorious main topic. And Herwig, I want to jump right into it this week with my company of the week, Do it. which is BTG Paxual. And BTG Paxual made headlines this week for officially launching their REIBZ Rebiz security token and hitting the 3 million soft cap. So they're raising about 15 million in total for their first security token offering, but let's dig into this one a little bit. And so BTG Paxual is Latin America's largest independent investment bank with 34 billion assets under management. And if you don't remember, they were actually awarded the prestigious Company of the Week award by you, Herwig, all the way back in Episode 3 on July 9th, 2019, for their announcement about this Rebiz project. As a reminder, in 2019, they actually announced its plans to tokenize a full real estate fund that they were calling Rebiz on the blockchain. And so I'll cover a little bit more about the token itself in the STO section. But I think it's awesome news to see this token launch from start to finish from a large institutional player and to see them now reaching that soft cap and now moving forward with this offering. So it's awesome work from BTG Paxual for pushing through the process and reaching their early goals. I'm sure that their focus will be on filling the rest of this round. But with the soft cap reached, I think we can expect to see this token issued sometime later in 2020. Additionally, congrats to BTG Pactual for being our second repeat winner on the Security Token Show. More from them coming later in the episode. Congratulations to BTG Pactual and specifically the RayBZ real estate project. It seems like that's going to be their focus. So I'm looking forward to learning more from you, Kyle, later on the episode. And I guess with that, I will talk a little bit about my highlight, awesome. which is the Societe Generale, which is one of the world's biggest banks, if you haven't heard of them. They have almost $1.5 trillion in assets under management, and they've been very innovative in the blockchain field, and last week marked more historical news for the bank. Originally, they issued a $100 million security token-based bond in April of 2019, and now a second bond, also using OFH tokens, which translate to housing finance obligations, was issued by the bank on May 14th. And more interestingly, it was a transaction that allowed interconnection between Societe Generale's digital platform, which is based on Ethereum, of course, a public distributed ledger technology, and Bank de France private digital ledger technology solution. So uh, another fascinating institutional connection. And the 40 million bond itself also marks an important milestone for the Central Bank of France as they tested their central bank digital currency, an e-euro tied to their DLT platform to programmatically pay the bond, of course, with the e-euro. 
the euro token represented a cash deposit with the Bank de France and was used for the digital settlement of the transaction, which in turn triggered a cash movement between the investor's account and the issuer's account, both of which were conveniently held with Bank de France. Now, making the transaction, of course, all the easier. Now, the OFH security tokens represented the bonds are registered and transferred in a digital uh, a DTL platform entirely through smart contracts. So despite being a very institutional transaction, we are really talking about using security tokens, smart contracts, and uh, distributed ledger technology all the way through and through uh, this transaction. So I have to say that's really, really a strong use case. But what really topped it off for me, Kyle, was when I saw that a rating agency who rated the bond has officially reviewed a legal memorandum stating that the use of DLT to register the security token does not affect the security's legal classification wow. as a financial housing application or its ability to rely on the legal privilege conferred to conferred bonds under the French legal framework. Therefore, the use of blockchain does not adversely affect the bond. And Fitch Ratings, the agency behind it, of course, relayed a AAA rating for that tokenized bond. So all in all, it's an excellent transaction case study that will quantify to financial institutions really the value of blockchain and security tokens through and through. And in this case, Societe Generale wins my company of the week for tokenizing a second multi-million dollar bond, and this time using a stable coin backed by the Central Bank of France for payment on delivery. I can only expect bond issuances and underlying blockchain platforms for the, the two companies, the two banks, to ramp up from here. So all in all, congratulations. They're definitely my company of the week. That's amazing. They're, to highlight some of those most important pieces there, to see... Fitch Ratings, the second ratings agency we've seen now, second to Morningstar, that's now rated a blockchain-based bond and also concluded that it is not harmful and in Morningstar's case actually beneficial to the bond issuer to leverage that technology. That's huge news in and of itself. And then you look at stable coins. And, and oftentimes I've seen people question what the value of a stable coin is if you, you can just use the dollar. And the reality is it's this. It's leveraging the smart contract operations to execute those bond and interest payments most effectively. By using traditional analog cash or dollars or, or whatever then denomination of fiat, you don't have the same integration as you do with a, a tokenized form of that same asset. And so it seems like Societe Generale not only on top of the fact that they're a huge institutional player, but they clearly understand the use cases of the smart contract technology and stable coins. And, and this is exciting and, and totally well-deserved of a company of the week. Yeah, Kyle, another great week of movement. And with that, I think I can jump right into the news cycle. But before I do, I want to remind our listeners that all the articles that Kyle and I discuss on the show are always sourced from stomarket.com slash news. And they're also available for your reference in the about description of the podcast itself. So let's get into it. Um, you know, other than Societe Generale and BTG Pactual, the rest of the world was actually relatively quiet, except for, of course, the United States. And we're going to kick off our news with more lawsuits, very United States. <laughs> in episode 38, in fact, Kyle and I covered the Telegram ICO and what we're calling the 
Crypto Red Wedding. And for those of you not following that saga, essentially, you know, landmark and leading ICOs from 2017 and 2018 are currently vigorously being pursued and examined for violating securities laws by regulators like the SAC and, of course, investors themselves looking to settle a case civilly. And in that episode, following the halt of the Telegram ICO per the SEC investigation, lawsuits were filed, specifically 11 of them, against companies behind such as the likes of EOS, Civic, Quantstamp, Tron, Bancor, and others, all who, of course, had high-profile ICOs that you know possibly could have been violating securities laws in the past few years. And this is all while we've been covering Ripple, the, the firm you know behind the third largest cryptocurrency, who's been facing multiple lawsuits for the same exact reason playing out for over a year now. So, you know, that, that's a lot of, of, you know, saga update there, but it really all essentially originated back in 2018 when Ethereum itself, for those of you who may not remember, was unofficially cleared as not being a security and there, if therefore itself avoiding many of those similar lawsuits that are now flying out to all those other ICO firms. And the news here is that, of course, another one has been filed. This marks a second one for Block.1, which is the firm behind the $4 billion EOS ICO. And despite them settling with the SEC back in September of 2019 for $24 million, and specifically the company Block 1 saying that this should clear the token of needing to register with the SEC, the company continues to receive lawsuits for the matter. This ICO was bigger than Telegram and Ripple combined, you know, as it was over $4 billion, so it's really not surprising to see this ICO get more and more attention now. And just to review, everyone, this marks high-profile ICOs like XRP, EOS, Tezos, and Telegram as firms embroiled by lawsuits for violating securities laws in the U.S. And just to be to be clear, the results could be damning. Uh, this could be large fines, settlements, and potentially even having to reclassify the underlying token as a security and registering it with it, uh, registering it, of course, with the SEC, or potentially barring U.S. participants from being able to purchase it. So we will continue to track these lawsuits closely, of course, and keep you in the know here on the weekly show. And next up, we have an update on the open finance announcement that surprised many in the industry a few weeks ago when they said they would potentially delist all the security tokens trading on their marketplace. Again, via email, the company has now said that they expect to, quote, continue to operate the security token trading platform. And quote, we are pleased to announce that partnership discussions have progressed to a point that allows for uninterrupted operations and the continuation of security token trading. Further details of a partnership will be announced in the near future. In the meantime, we will be working closely with potential partners over the next several months to enhance the security token trading experience. Well, interestingly, you know, the previous announcement left it to the individual issuers to renegotiate and pay additional listing fees, you know, directly with Open Finance. And now it seems that this announcement suggests that all five issuers have re-signed and will be continuing trading. On top of that, there's kind of this interesting phrasing regarding working with partners to enhance the security token trading experience. You know, this is kind of classically vague, and I think that you know, it could really mean anything. So we definitely will be staying tuned for more updates on this, and that's exactly what we'll be doing while hoping that maybe the next announcement will have some more context. It's definitely a very interesting scenario here. We're going to have to see how this plays out, but we were trying to think last month of some of the reasons why they may have potentially been in this situation. Maybe if they needed money, it was to find re-signing. But in this, the, 
the phrasing that they have in this email, it says that the discussions are continuing. So that does not necessarily scream to me that they've secured big new listing fees or renewments. So we'll have to see how the firm goes moving forward. But uh, I guess for now, your tokens are still safe. Maybe something alluded there to a future partnership announcement, but uh, only time will tell. Look out for it. Indeed. And another uh, big announcement from a, a U.S. firm, Tokensoft, you know, making ways that they said that the have distributed $4 million of its equity to its investors using the Ethereum blockchain. So, you know, actually back in July of 2018, Base10 and eVentures co-led a seed round with Coinbase Ventures and a Fidelity affiliate Avon Ventures into Tokensoft. And that $4 million in Tokensoft equity that was received in exchange for the investors, which, by the way, used a SAFT instrument, was tokenized and is now issued to investors who, using Tokensoft's technology, can receive dividends and as well as complete secondary transfer of their tokens using uh, you know, their platform. The dividends specifically use Signature Bank's Signet platform, which does use DLT to track payments, but still leverages electronic payments to directly reach an investor. And of course, the transfer agent behind it is Tokasoft's subsidiary, DTAC. Uh, so it's good to see you know, tokenization platforms always eating their own dog food. So congrats to Mason and the Tokensoft team for successfulizing their, their own equity, to, you know, just like Mount Pellerin, who was the first that I know mm -hmm. to, to now have secondary trading tokens. It looks like Tokensoft will soon be following suit. And they did a Reg D or Reg S, so that lockup period is, is done now. So these tokens should hit secondary markets now. This is an announcement that just comes out and and uh, hopefully we'll be able to get information on their trading equity as soon as this week or next. So look out for that on stlmarket.com as well and the podcast for the upcoming weeks. I'm eager to get that update. But meanwhile, we have one from Polymath, which last week had an announcement saying that DigiVault has been added to their service provider marketplace. This now means that Polymath issuers will be able to leverage DigiVault's custody services, which is, of course, a key piece of infrastructure for token utility. Now, it's worth noting that this marks Polymath having over 50 different service providers on their network, and it marks DigiVault as the 11th supported custody service provider for Polymath issuers. That's a pretty impressive growing network of advisory firms, law firms, compli compliance providers, accountants, and more. So keep it up, Polymath. And continuing the STM industry interview series in May is Viktor Viktorov, the CEO and co-founder of Reino. That's R-E-I-N-N-O. For those of you not familiar with Reino, they are a fintech company based out of Stamford, Connecticut, and they're focused specifically on commercial real estate tokenization. And Viktor, the CEO, who's, by the way, previously a successful entrepreneur from Bulgaria, shares with us in this interview how Reno specifically addresses the issues for CRE using tokenization in three ways, tokenizing the real estate itself, offering loans collateralized by the real estate tokens, and offering a crowdfunding platform for investors to participate in real estate tokenizations. It's another fantastic interview, simply refreshing to see such a thoughtful discussion around blockchain and real estate disruption, the state of crowdfunding in the US, and of course, all things Reno. So thank you, Victor, for taking the time to participate and for to share with everybody. And finally, ending this short news cycle is what I thought was a highly sophisticated synopsis of the death of the ICO. I kind of wrote a version of this article back in 2018 called The Rise and the Fall of the ICO, and I found that Colin Post authored a nice updated 2020 version that is even more eloquent. 
The author takes the reader through the journey first by leading with the perspective and view of the SEC and the historical Howey test that which they use to define securities. This makes it then easier to understand and go through the ICO history from the Dow report to the many high-profile cases now pursued by the SEC. And finally, I believe he added a critical component missing from my article, which is the role of the SAFT instrument and its downfall for future ICOs. And Colin also shares with us some insightful conclusions about the role of securities, security tokens, and also profiles the ICOs that have managed to legally move forward in the US. I think this is some grade A journalism and I highly recommend anyone interested in learning about the ICO era to check this article out. And with that, that's all I have for you amazing listeners today. I hope you all enjoyed that new scoop. And I don't know about you, but I'm ready for Kyle to tell us about some of the upcoming industry events. Let's dig right into it. We have the big Draper Gorin Home Digital Security Summit coming up on May 27th, which is Wednesday, from 12 p.m. noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Time. And so they will be working with security tokens realized for the event they've been cross-promoting, and I think they have over a 1,000 signups already. They're planning on covering the context of the COVID-19 crisis and how that affects digital securities. And they'll also have a work group initiated uh, following a post by the founder of Onera, which is a portfolio company of Draper Gorin Home. And it will include executives from many large banks and a developing security token exchange, Archax, as well as others. So this is going to be a big event. Hopefully they'll have many different people involved. And I know that there are a lot of signups. So definitely check that event out if you're interested in staying in touch with the security token space and who else is, is making moves. I know that I will be, be checking it out as well so we can try to give you some highlights for next week's episode. That's a big one coming up. Definitely a lot of information around that. So... Definitely looking forward to the highlights, Kyle. Absolutely. Shout out to them for uh, for still pushing through and putting an event together. And um, hopefully in this time next year, we won't be doing it via Zoom and we can all meet each other in person. Moving forward into the new STOs and updates, I have an additional piece of update from that ReBZ offering that won my company of the week this week from BTG Pactual. And so a few of those little pieces that I thought were interesting to cover kind of in this structure section was that, as I mentioned before, as a reminder, this is, this is a real estate fund that consists of 323 real estate units so far. And they're all based out of Brazil. And so they're raising this fund with all these assets underneath. And then they're tokenizing that fund. And so they were aiming to raise $15 million. So far, they've reached their soft cap, which is the minimum amount that they will you know, accept in order to move forward. So that soft cap was reached at $3 million. Now they're trying to get that, that other 12. And so this token is structured to pay out periodic dividends to shareholders. I'm not sure if that will be based off of when they sell the different properties or if they're planning on doing some kind of quarterly dividend we'll certainly have to see as they get closer and then finally it will be issued on the tezos blockchain so this is one of the first tokens that's very high profile that we're seeing leveraging the tezos blockchain we certainly have seen in many updates in the past from herwig that they have been working with many of the providers that have been mentioned across many of our different episodes but we haven't yet seen any landmark assets coming out of the Tezos blockchain. So it will be very interesting to see how this ReBZ offering performs. It also is important to note that the bank does have plans to create a proprietary secondary market to actually trade these tokens, which would be awesome news. I know that US and Brazilian investors are excluded from investing in this offering at this time. 
But because of the restrictions and because of the firms issuing out of Brazil, there may actually be less regulatory compliance on the secondary market. And so BTG may establish early liquidity for their token without the legal burdens of the U.S. jurisdictions, and then they can look to maybe optimize that for new assets in the future. But I think it's an interesting idea, and we'll have to see how that plays out and if they can actually build liquidity um, inside their, their maybe more restricted market. Makes a lot of sense as a strategy, but interesting that they're not only foregoing U.S. investors, but their own home country's investors as well, all in the frame of being able to reach international investors, which I think is going to be a continuous trend we're going to see. So definitely more of a validation and use case right there. Something to watch. I think it's interesting, as you said. Yeah, they're issuing out of Brazil. They're using Brazilian real estate. They're a Latin American bank and the largest independent Latin American bank, and yet they're not allowing Brazilian investment. So there must be something there um, from a, a regulatory compliance standard. They want to test it without having to worry. Additionally, we have an article I think you need to look out for, and this was, you know, I saw a few articles and rumors this week regarding a digital yuan stablecoin that may be launching, and I just wanted to address that really quickly. We know that China has been a early adopter of blockchain technology, and there have been many rumors regarding the development of their own state-sponsored digital currency, and those things are absolutely true. They're absolutely exploring this and looking into what their options are. However, one press release that came out this week that seems to be catching a lot of eyes revolves around the launch of what's called the E-Yuan, which is, seems to have no connection with the Chinese government or its national currency. Instead, it's being issued by the Yuan Pay Group, and it seems to be intentionally seeking to mislead investors based off of claiming that it has support from the Chinese government or, or kind of insinuating that there's a connection there. And there, there does not seem to be the case. And so there's an article that we're going to link in the description um, from Cointelegraph that, that kind of points out some of those distinctions. There do seem to be some red flags across the site. But the reality here is that you do need to do your own research. So definitely don't just look at one press release and make an investment or do anything silly based off of a whim. You definitely need to do your own research before you're investing in projects um, and, and maybe avoid this one. Finally, we have the market update. And as always, the market pricing is sourced from stomarket.com. We also post uh, monthly reports that detail the pricing action and how that changes. So all of the data that we use in all of these market reports are, are sourced from stomarket.com. And the total security token market cap this week is around 57.7 million, down not even half a million dollars from the 58.1 last week. However, with new market cap additions from our newest token, the Overstock Digital Dividend that we're going to be covering later, we now sit at 90.7 million with that additional asset. So we're very, very close to reaching a 10, 100 million, excuse me, market cap for the security token industry. And I see that that expanding even more by the end of 2020. So let's break it down a little bit. Unfortunately, there wasn't a ton of action this week to really note. T0 had a relatively stable week after the overstock token launched on the ATS until Friday, where it dropped about 8% sharply. Volume was very high all week, but the price was definitely not performing as well as many had hoped, especially because of the additional asset. I know that there was some optimism that the token may continue to perform better because now it has an additional asset trading. It doesn't seem like at least the initial moves suggest that is the case from investors, but we'll just have to see moving forward. 
Overstock itself, the digital dividend, closed this week's trading at around $7.50, down almost 50% from its original issuance. And we'll dig into that a little bit more in just a second. Otherwise, the rest of the industry held relatively firm this week. We saw stable price action almost across the board. Mount Pelerin still sitting at $4.50 or so, which is nearing its all-time highs above its issuance for sure by, by almost a dollar. Um, and, and many of the other tokens kind of just holding firm a lot of the real estate just kind of sitting where it's at. So a, a solid week for security tokens. Another week of, of no negative movement. They're all holding their value. They seem to be fair, priced fairly according to the market. Um, and so that's just, we'll, we'll cover that more in the coming weeks. But without further ado, Herwig, I think that that's actually a pretty good transition into our main topic where we're going to break down the launch of this Overstock preferred token uh, from Overstock and, and share our own thoughts on it. Yeah, let's do it. Let's get into it. All right. So let's just highlight that this token represents individual stock in Overstock, the company, exactly like the OSTK shares that are trading on NASDAQ. And so the, the difference in the tickers is that the digital dividend is, is referred to as the OSTKO token, and the public shares are OSTK shares on NASDAQ. And so it was paid as a dividend to public shareholders, and its trading has begun on the T0 ATS. And this is a huge move for Overstock because it forces many shareholders like Vanguard, Morgan Stanley, as well as the dozens of institutional investment funds to embrace security token technology and provides a more stable equity asset versus tokenizing like startup equity or something like we've seen attempted by other firms in the past. I mean, and that's not an understanding, Kyle. Right? This is, we're talking about a registered public security. That's the first of its kind trading here in the U.S. I mean, that's major major news and it's interesting how you say it forces major financial institutions to interact with security token technology i mean maybe you can quickly share with us how the process worked for those who qualified for the airdrop i mean let's say i had 10 shares of overstock ostk shares in my e-trade account yeah so overstock structured this dividend just like any traditional stock dividend you'd see in the public market at a 10 to 1 rate, meaning that for the 10 shares in the E-Trade account that you own, you would be awarded one tokenized share. This is commonly referred to in the blockchain industry as an airdrop as well, so those terms can be used synonymously here. And this share, this tokenized share, is the exact same financial instrument as the public stock, except it's traded on the T0 platform instead of the NASDAQ platform. On top of that, it does benefit from the technical efficiencies that tokenization provides. We cover that, I feel like, every week. The dividend is first issued to the brokerage that owns the traditional overstock shares. So in this case, with you using E-Trade for 10 shares, you would get one tokenized share in that E-Trade account. Then from there, you have to actually transfer it manually from that E-Trade account to a T0 ATS account to enable trading of the, those shares. So that's kind of the one piece that is a little bit of a, a force, right? There is no current exchange rate between the public shares and the tokenized version. So you either have to send it from, from one brokerage to another, or you have to exchange one to cash in order to get access to the other one. You can't trade one tokenized share for one analog share. There's no exchange rate there. Yeah, I mean, all in all, basically what you're saying is if you want to benefit from this digital dividend, you can only do so, I guess, by transferring the share to the T0 platform, which in this case right now, of course, would be using Dinosaur as the broker dealer since they exclusively support T0 at the moment. 
And so if I guess if I want to sell, I have to sell via dinosaur. And if I want to buy, I got to buy via dinosaur. And therefore, I guess new investors and financial firms have to become familiar with tokens and dinosaur. In this case, as a result of this whole dividend airdrop, as you say. So I guess I, I, I know what you mean by forced uh, in this case. Definitely a, a sort of smart way for overstock to use T0 as a interchangeable tool to kind of, you know, expose security token technology to Wall Street. Mm -hmm. so, so tell me, Kyle, if that's the case, how is the OSTKO token trading performance in relation to its traditional counterpart on the NASDAQ, aka how's the OSTK share compared to the OSTKO token? As I mentioned, it's trading the OSTKO token, that is, is trading around $7.50 right now with an individual market cap of $33 million. And so that represents about 5% of the company's $700 million total market cap. And since issuance, the token has seen mostly selling from the market. This is common, as dividend capture strategies from trading often result in sell pressure after a stock dividend. Essentially, if you're just going to get airdrop this new asset, you may want cash for it. So you're just going to initially sell it. So a lot of those people are, are just going to sell. And most people are going to be less eager to buy because they just got themselves a new share. And so you have kind of, at least at first, an overwhelming sell pressure just because there's all this new asset on the market. And a lot of times, especially in this case, you may have a lot of people that don't want or are not allowed to hold security tokens. Some funds may not be allowed to own tokens and therefore they need to sell. And there may be other pressures like that. So it's not super uncommon. Certainly, I think we've seen it even more accelerated because of the tokenized aspect and because there are a lot of people that are still hesitant of embracing that technology. And so that has affected the OSTKO's price significantly, with the tokenized shares down about 45% from its May 19th public launch. Hmm. And so the public shares on NASDAQ closed trading on Friday at about $17.60, despite having the exact same rights to future dividends and liquidation preferences as the digital shares, which are 60% cheaper. So since all shares are entitled to the same cash dividend, one that they've paid out three years in a row now. It leads me to wonder if there are serious arbitrage opportunities that may exist in balancing the cash flows between these two assets. Hmm. That actually makes me think of just last week's episode, right? As you detailed with market makers creating liquidity by creating a bid-ask spread to then stabilize the price of an asset, I feel like with the OSTKO and the OSTK being worth the same financially, kind of like each, let's say, being backed by one bar of gold. The problem here is that the OSTK bar of gold has already an active market of buyers and the OSTKO bar of gold has a very small and a liquid market, I guess, right? So could that be the reason for this, this, the price discrepancy here? I mean, we're, we're talking about a, a liquidity a li illiquidity premium, right? I mean, in this case, it looks like it's almost, what, 60%, is that right? That's totally right, Herwig. The liquidity premium or illiquidity premium or liquidity discount, whatever, however you want to phrase it, is, is essentially investors not really wanting to deal with the hassle of using the investment platform like Dinosaur that they aren't familiar with and hasn't yet integrated with their current solutions. I've spoken with sources at T0 about this directly, and they are aware that they have plans to work with the largest brokerage firms like TD Ameritrade or many of these other ones in the future. So they're looking to make that 
process easier. So maybe you don't have to transfer from one broker to another. You can just do it through yours, right? They kind of all can plug in together. But I think that this digital dividend is the best way that they can start bridging that gap, Makes right? Sense. Because now all these brokerage firms have to embrace it. And so they're kind of trying to burn the candle from both ends to see if they can make that happen quicker. Right. I think the real test for these two asset prices will be the annual cash dividend for 2020. So what you may not know from this token dividend is that last year Overstock paid each shareholder, no matter how many shares you owned, from one to however many, 16 cents per share in addition to awarding the larger shareholders with a tokenized share dividend. So 10 to 1, you got a free tokenized share, but even if you just had one, you got 16 cents per share for the cash dividend of 2019. And so the company has successfully done that three years in a row. And with the company's stock doubling in price so far in 2020, they're likely on track for a fourth consecutive dividend. If these two assets represent the same amount of ownership in Overstock, and they both receive the same dividend, there really is no reason why the price of these assets should not mirror each other very closely. In fact, because of the tokenization of the shares, the dividend might actually be processed and distributed quicker for tokenized shareholders, resulting in a better experience for investors. Not to mention all kinds of other technology and benefits we can layer thanks to the fact that you have, I guess, what we would call smart public shares as opposed to dumb public shares. <laughs> um, and presumably, when an active market exists then, whether it's under Dinosaur or T0 or through TD Ameritrade, we might, I guess, see the opposite effect, right? Where OSTKO tokens trade for a slightly higher price than their OSTK share counterpart. And I think that's pretty cool. I mean, probably at that point, I feel like it would be highly likely we see all OSTK shares then get converted into OSTKO tokens. But, you know, who's to say, regardless, it certainly isn't you or me, Kyle, who, who can say what will happen for certain. But hopefully this explanation of the Overstock dividend airdrop has been helpful in understanding exactly what Overstock and T0 did and how they did it. So if you have any questions on this or if you have any feedback for the show, please don't hesitate to reach out to Kyle or myself. We're always available on LinkedIn or Twitter. And thank you, of course, to all our regular listeners for tuning into another episode. And welcome to everybody who joined us today for the first time. As always, be sure to check out stomarket.com news where you can contribute your questions, industry articles, opinions, and ideas. And that's all we have. We'll catch you next week for episode number 46. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week.